So, tonight's Garden of Amunah class is Aspirations, Not Yet. And the subtitles were that aspiration is a key component which is necessary for success. And then we need to talk about where does aspiration come from, uh, the source of aspiration, which is Amuna. And we're going to talk about that tonight. I will tell you tonight, uh, I'm going to step out of my little box here and uh, share with you that what I'm going to present to you tonight, uh, I'm struggling with it in my mind. I'm actually, I uh, mentioned before to the people who are here sitting and talking with me that uh, I'm going to take the liberty to start up a little bit with Viktor Frankl, who uh, is an amazing, uh, those of you who read his book, Man's Search for, uh, for Meaning and Purpose, it's a very powerful book. But I'm going to suggest something here, which is not disagreeing with him, but I'd like to go to a step beyond that. So bear with me, guys. Tonight's going to be one of those nights. Okay. So we're talking about aspiration. We're talking about aspiration, which we all know. You read any books, uh, self-help books, um, self-growth books, you're going to find that aspiration is a key. If you don't have aspiration, if you don't have a shi'ifa, you don't have this strong desire to get somewhere, then you're usually not going to get there. It's very important to have that strong level of aspiration that when you wake up in the morning, you don't want to hit the snooze button. You're probably upset that your body actually needs six hours of sleep and can't survive on four hours of sleep because you wasted so much time, so many places to go, so many people to meet. There's a goal. i got to get there. And time's ticking. I can't believe this. You jump out of bed. We're talking about real aspiration. The aspiration that has you singing in the shower instead of like, I can't believe I have to get up today. That's what we're talking about. And if you don't have that aspiration, then how can you get anywhere? It's an uphill battle. How are you going to deal with an uphill battle if you don't have that inner strength of aspiration? So what we're talking about over here is that this type of, this type of experience should be the natural flow of the human being. It should be that natural flow that I want to get somewhere. I want to do something. To quote one of the famous lines that most people say when you push them against the wall, what is it that you want when you leave this world? And they'll tell you, I'd like to leave this world for my children just a little bit prettier than I got it for my parents. But that's the norm. And that's kind of what Viktor Frankl is talking about. It's in the normal genetics, DNA of the human being to have a purpose. And a purpose drives aspiration. It's not just uh, floating in the wind, uh, okay, where is the wind blowing me today? This purpose, you can see the difference when someone's working, walking with aspiration and purpose or someone's just walking. So the normal flow of the human being should be to have aspiration. And yet sometimes, as you saw in the title, aspiration, exclamation mark, not yet, question mark, exclamation mark. Sometimes we don't feel that aspiration. Sometimes it seems difficult just to continuously breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. It's like we're like, why? What for? You know, it's like uh, we spoke about this once before in this uh, forum. We spoke about the, <laughs> the hamster one day deciding, what am I crazy? Why am I running? Let's get out of this circle. But that's not norm. The norm of the human being is that we want, we feel the need to do something. To have a purpose and the biggest torture in a teenager's life is when he goes through that cycle of why am I alive anyway 
And then when it gets over that, it usually hits again during midlife crisis. And that's when you go out and get your red convertible, right? But the bottom line is that that is torment. When a human being doesn't feel the drive of purpose and aspiration, which leads to wanting to fulfill that purpose, it's torturous. Life really becomes unbearable at those moments. One or two, either deep frustration, which is half a problem, or depression, which is a full problem. So the norm is to have aspiration. The norm is to have a goal and to want to get there. And not only to want to get there because you want to get to the destination, but to enjoy the scenery of the whole journey. Because everything is alive all of a sudden. You're driven. Versus when you don't have that, you're just like a driven leaf. You're just blowing around, don't know where you're going to end up today. Let's just see what happens. And by the way, many people disguise that in Amuna. Oh, I don't have purpose because that's not Amuna. I have Amuna. I wake up or wherever God blows me today, that's where I'll be. No, that's not Amuna. That's using Amuna against God. Not a very good thing to do. So what I want to share with you today is that I'm going to say that Shi'ifa, aspiration, a desire, a goal to want to get somewhere, comes from one of two things. One would be external stimulus. I need purpose because when I'm alone, I don't feel good. When I'm not needed to get to somewhere, if I can't justify the oxygen intake, then I'm feeling bad. So in that situation, aspiration would serve as an external stimulus. The reason why I need to live is because my kids need me. The reason why I need to live is because the world needs me. The reason why I need to live is because there's a purpose. And in that situation, man serves purpose. So purpose would be in this situation, the external stimulus. It would be the external reason to get up in the morning. I finally have a reason to get up. There's a need for me. My life suddenly takes on value. That would be one dimension of aspiration. It would be one dimension of purpose. It would be one dimension of what drives me. And yet I share with you that while this is a good thing, so please hear me. I jumped a major piece of what probably should have been in this lecture. I've taken the liberty to decide that I'm not dealing with people that are bordering between desperation and aspiration, but I'm going to talk about in a healthy mindset where aspiration is the norm. I know that there's a purpose. I'm going to now talk about two different levels in aspiration. And I think that that later will be able to bring back to the original question of what if I just don't have any aspiration? And as a father or as a teacher, the worst thing for me is when I'm talking to a teenager, especially if he has my last name, and I'm like, I don't care. But, but, I don't care. But wait. I don't know how to tell it to you. I, I just don't care. 
That's when there's homicide on the horizon. Don't do that to me. Fight with me, argue with me, tell me you have different aspirations, tell me you, you want to go somewhere else. But just don't give me the I don't care thing. So I want to share with you what I did to my kids at a very young age. When they started with the head, shoulder, I don't care. You know that? I don't care. The shoulders go up and you want to slap the kid, but there's HRS on the horizon. So there's an issue here. What do you do with a kid who I don't care? What do you do with a kid who I don't care? I'm going to punish you. I don't care. You're going to be ground for two weeks. I don't care. <laughs> what do you do with such a kid? So early on, I've shared with my kids this sentence. I don't care is for babies. Drilled it in at a very young age. And then after that, there became this role play. I don't care. And I would say, who doesn't care? And the other siblings would sing in. Babies don't care. So it became very clear to them. Babies that don't know the taste of responsibility don't care. But if you're not a baby and you understand responsibility is the middle name of every human being, how much more so of every Jew who stands as a light unto the nations, then don't give me the I don't care bit. Babies don't care. And if you're a baby, then I have no reason to punish you. Why would I punish a baby? He's a baby. So very young on, I did that with my kids. So don't give me the I don't care bit. Tell me you're mad. Tell me you're putting up a show. Tell me you want to show me that you're not affected by what I'm telling you. <laughs> That's okay. Don't tell me you don't care because babies don't care and you're not a baby. You've tasted the glorious feeling, the glorious divine human feeling of responsibility. So cut the I don't care. Which of course, as you know, is one of Viktor Frankl's big lines in his book. That any country that has on the East Coast the Statue of Liberty must erect on the West Coast the Statue of Responsibility. One without the other doesn't work. Liberty breeds responsibility. If you don't have one, you can't have the other. With that being said, so I took the liberty of skipping the, I don't care. We're going to jump straight into two levels of, two different paradigms of aspiration, of purpose. And then at the end, remind me, <laughs> we'll go back to the I don't care bit and see through those two levels what that means. Let's go back to what we're talking about. So we have level number one of aspiration with the external stimulus. I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and I ask myself, why? And I need to answer that, why? Oh, I know why. Because there's poverty going on. There are kids being abused. There are people dying. The world's falling apart. Of course, there's a reason why I'm alive. And I head with that direction. I would dare to say that that is the lower level, the external level, and in the realm of faith, I would call that the lower level of faith. Because over there, faith is that everything happens for a reason. I was born in a certain time and generation for a reason. I'm dealing with issues for a reason. And it's all driven by purpose. Which is a lot of what Viktor Frankl is saying. As you know, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. And he writes over there that he clearly saw, he clearly saw that when people in the concentration camps lost the meaning and purpose for anything, he saw it in their eyes, and he writes over there, actually, the time frame from when he noticed that in one of his peers' eyes until they would pass on. That's how basic necessity it is for the human being to have purpose.
I mean, think about it for a moment. Pain. Just think about it. Not Let's not go extreme Holocaust. Let's just talk about regular day-to-day -day pain that we each have. The one thing that becomes unbearable is that we don't have purpose for pain. But if you have purpose for pain, like go into the gym and see the guys benching and krechsing and you wonder, either krechs or bench. <laughs> Why are you doing both? They either drop in and walk out or no. They have purpose in their pain. They feel their muscles stretching in their pain. That helps them go on. They're actually smiling and after that they feel like a million bucks. I mean, obviously very extreme level from what we were talking about a moment ago with Viktor Frankl. But when there's purpose to pain, pain becomes A, doable, and B, even awaited for. You have just no pain, no gain, and you want to feel the pain so you can feel the gain. When there is no purpose in pain, the slightest pain becomes unbearable. In my world of counseling, I notice that in marital counseling all the time. Once the spouses are like, why I, why? I don't even know why I'm here. At that point, every slight look, comment, becomes unbearable. Why am I putting up with this? I don't even belong in this marriage. But when that doesn't happen, when you're in the marriage and you see that you want to be in the marriage and you see purpose in the marriage, so then even more than just a slight look or everything, becomes, it becomes bearable. This purpose, the purpose is that we're in a relationship. Relationship has to develop. And relationships have pitfalls. And some of them are huge <laughs> New York City potholes. But there's a purpose for it. Because there's a purpose for our relationship. There's a purpose for the sanctity of our marriage. I want this. We're getting somewhere. So everything becomes bearable. The hardest point in counseling, in marital counseling is when they both come in like my kids did. I don't care. So, uh, so what's going on in your marriage? It was never good. It's very, then I, I don't blame them for every single day wanting out. Because if she put the fork on the right side of the plate instead of the left side of the plate, it becomes unbearable. Why do I put up with this garbage? What garbage? This, didn't you see the forks on the right side, the left side? Don't you know anything about Ethica? And the same vice versa. Because there's no purpose. There's no purpose. Everything is, is like scratching on a blackboard. When there's purpose, then things are different. But over here I share with you that the man serves purpose. And therefore at some level, Amuna over here is going to be the lower level of Amuna. It's where you define everything by purpose. You exist for a purpose. And therefore you have Amuna. That everything that's helping and that's happening to you. Is helping you either through Tikkun. Or getting you to your purpose. But I do want to emphasize what I'm saying here. That tonight I am exploring this issue together with you. That this is an external level of Amuna. I'm going to share with you the internal level of Amuna, and then we're going to go to explore whether there's any validity to what I'm saying. Hopefully, the end will be yes. The other approach would be that it's not. It's not. Let me say it this way: 
It's not that man needs purpose, purpose needs man, because man needs no purpose. Now that would be contrary to everything I just told you Viktor Frankl said. And I'm not going to put myself in a position to argue with Viktor Frankl. But I do want to share with you that Viktor Frankl was talking about the epitome of humanity. I'd like to take you beyond the epitome of humanity into divinity. And when you leave the epitome of humanity, because humanity cannot, cannot digest what I'm saying here. The ultimate definition of humanity is that this purpose, this person, serves a purpose. Our understanding of value, self-respect. You know, the one nightmare question that people ask themselves when they get morbid is, if I died, would anyone miss me? What does that question mean? Basically it means, do I have a purpose in this world? Does anyone need me? If I closed down shop and I disappeared, would anyone notice? Who would find me first? The rats or some friend looking for me? <gasps> Where's that roomie? He hasn't been here for a week. In Yeshiva, we used to have that joke, you know? What happens if we fall asleep for a week? You know, forget the clock. Let's use calendars. Huh. Now, hey, what time is it? I just woke up. It's like, what day is it? I just woke up. And that, by the way, is a horrible feeling. To think that you could sleep through a week and nothing <laughs> would... Okay, so we slept through a week. I'm up now. If I'm up, let me do something. Sleep another week, sleep another week. What's the difference? If I'm up, I'm going to do something. But if I'm sleeping, matovo manaim. That's horrible. That is so horrible. Because you look in the mirror and you say, I, I'm just not needed. Not by me, not by others, not by no one. So from the human perspective, Amuna drives that man needs purpose. That is Amuna. Amuna is that there is a higher order. There's a purpose for creation. And I, little me, has been so blessed to be able to play out a part in the great big God's purpose. He chose me, little me, to fulfill his will. And that is where simcha shall mitzvah comes from. How I rejoice in the mitzvah. Not because the mitzvah is going to get me a three-quarter inch stake in the world to come. But because how glorious is the understanding that God chose me, insignificant me, born yesterday, dying tomorrow. But in between that yesterday and tomorrow, I am part of an infinite plan. I am going to make a difference in God's world. I am going to bring God's will into fruition. How amazing. That is the human perspective of Amuna. Man's need for purpose. As a Jew, our purpose is God. Our purpose is to fulfill God's will. When God started Beratius, it was because before that, he had a strategic plan. He knew what he wanted. And then, to think that once he started that bet of Beratius, I am part of that master plan. I will make it happen for God. Of course, God could have used a billion angels, but he didn't. He used me. He chose me this morning to wash my hands, to say my da'ani, wash my hands, make blessings, do charity, do all the good work, study Torah, make this physical world a divine place. Wow! I have purpose. Not Warren Buffett's purpose. I have divine purpose. God has a master plan, and I'm part of it. 
Ashreinu matov chalkeinu. That is amuna, human amuna. But I'd like to take you into a different dimension. I'd like to take you into a divine dimension where man doesn't search for purpose, purpose searches for man. I want to take you into a different level of understanding tonight. Built on, obviously, I'm going to quote you, Chsidis. But a different dimension where man serves no purpose. Because the existence of man is the ultimate experience of purpose. Purpose searches man. Let's start with the approach of the beginning of Genesis. God created the world, not so that man can serve the world, but that man with Torah can actualize their infinite potential. Let's get this straight. God didn't create the world and say, oh, who's going to water my garden? All right, let's create Adam and Eve. Cheap labor. No. The bet, the first Rashi on, on that concept of Bereshit tells us, bet Rashit, the two that's called Rashit, which serves no purpose. It is because it is and nothing but it is. Is two things. The Torah that's called Rashit and the Jew that's called Rashit. And in order for them to play out and actualize their hidden potential, God created the world. To the point where the Medrash tells us that the, the Torah is the blueprint to the world. So God looked into the Torah and says, hmm, they're going to need gold when it comes time to build a temple. Okay, make sure there's gold in that world. You follow what happened? It's not like, oh, there's gold. Let's use it for something good. No, no, no. It's, hey, the temple needs gold. Put gold into the ingredients. In the world of Chassidus and Kabbalah, we refer to this as Pnimi Taratzon, Echitzoni Taratzon. The internal will, the external will. Let's do this quick. Internal will and external will. How do we define that, Amy? We define it very simple. If I don't need you, but I need you to get to him, you are an external will. I don't need you for you. I need you for a purpose. That's external. But if I want you because I want you only because I want you, now we're talking internal will. To the point when you ask me, what's up with you and Amy? I don't know. I just don't know. I just know that I like that girl. Period. End of story. That's internal will. So here we're talking about that when we say internal will, it can't be for the sake of a purpose. If it's for the sake of the purpose, by definition, that's external will. That I don't want you because I want you. I want you because you're going to fulfill something for me. Normally in Kabbalah, we talk about the difference between evil and good. God wants good because God wants good. God wants evil because he wants freedom of choice. Aha, he doesn't want evil. He wants freedom of choice. We can't have freedom of choice without evil. So we have to have evil. Evil is external will. What we're presenting by the table here is that if we hear what we're being taught that the Jew Adam and Eve is for the sake of internal will which means for the sake of no sake then it cannot be that man was created for purpose purpose was created for man which is why I refer to man's search for purpose that aspiration is external man serves a I need a Purpose. Aspiration. 
So there, our need for aspiration means that I need that. But when we talk about the highest dimension of Amuna, which can only be from a divine paradigm, creation cannot appreciate this paradigm. Creation cannot appreciate that I exist for no other reason than I exist. And don't ask me why I exist. You don't love me for me. You want to know what I do for you. But here's a different paradigm. My existence is the purpose. And purpose needs man. So God placed Adam into the Garden of Eden to work the garden. Why? Because we need to find a job for Adam or because the garden needed work? Man. Who needed who? Do we have a problem here? Uh, Adam and Eve, they're getting bored. What should we do? Uh, put them in the garden. Put them to work. Who serves who? Who is external? Who is internal? Now this paradigm can only exist by the neshama. Because everything has a source. Everything is coming from somewhere, going to somewhere. The only existence that isn't going from, coming from somewhere, going to somewhere, is God. You learn the first chapter in Maimonides, you find the terminology which the human mind has problems chewing on. It's a big problem. He exists. And even those words are already bordering on heresy. So we don't say he exists. We say that from him comes all existence. So I ask you, does God have a purpose? God forbid. But all purpose comes from God. And therefore all purpose needs God. But God needs no purpose. There is no midlife crisis. We're going into a very different paradigm. We're going into a paradigm which gets even trickier. Because our sages tell us, famous Pirkei Rabeleza, there are 13 things which existed before the creation. And of those 13 is the Torah and the Jew. And then he asks, which one comes before which? Now remember, in spirituality, the word before doesn't really make sense. Because before the bet of Bereshit, there was no time. The bet from Bereshit was creation of time and space. So before the bet of Bereshit, you can't ask where and you can't ask when. But Rabbi Lezer and Pirkei Lezer just did that. He asked, which came first? So understand what he's really asking. He's not asking which came first in time. Let's go back to man needs purpose, a purpose needs man. That's the question of who came first. Does the Jew need the Torah or does the Torah need the Jew? And he goes on to say something revolutionary. While he says that most people would say that the Torah came first and the Jew needs the Torah. For it is the tree of life. He says, I say that the Jew came before the Torah. And he brings a very simple proof. Historians, when they try to date a book, they look for what's mentioned in the book, right? So if the uh, book mentions Napoleon, we know that the writer had to live after a certain period, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that's what he does. 
He says, look in the Torah and it says, Dabera b'nei Israel, speak to the Jews. So it must be that the Torah existed after the Jews. Because if not, how did it talk about the Jews? What is that going to mean to us tonight? That's going to mean to us tonight that the Jews don't need the Torah, the Torah needs the Jew. That's going to mean to us tonight that the ultimate point of Emunah is that the ultimate aspiration of a Jew does not come from external, it comes from internal. The Jew's purpose is nothing more than his existence. The mere fact that we exist is testimony of God's existence. That itself is the ultimate purpose. So I don't need to find purpose to justify my being. Purpose needs to find me to justify its being. Just like the world needs to find a Jew in order to justify its being. Let's refer back to why you have salt on every single meal. You remember the story of why you have salt? Because on Monday, when God separated the supernal waters from the lower waters, salt cried and said, whoa, 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 I'm on the bottom of the water. And if the whole purpose of creation is Torah mitzvot, how is a Jew going to ever get to me to do Torah mitzvot? And God said, don't worry. I promise you, God made a covenant with the salt that you will be at every single sacrifice. And the verse in Leviticus says that you cannot miss having salt by every sacrifice. Today, our table is our altar, and thus we always dip bread into salt. Do you follow the story? The Jew didn't need the salt to fulfill the mitzvah. The salt needed the Jew to justify its existence. So in the ultimate point of Amunah, when we talk about Amunah is the source of aspiration, you can do it on the higher level and you can do it on the lower level. You can do it on the lower level with understanding that there's a master plan and God in His infinite kindness to me chose me to be part of that master plan and thus the purpose justifies my existence. It makes me something so special. I, day in and day out, Fulfill God's desire. What more can I ask for? Or there's even a higher level of Amuna, which isn't going to look at everything from the paradigm of man's search for purpose. And therefore, everything that happens to me, even when it's nasty, will have a purpose, either of tikkun, of either of bringing my portion of the master painting to me. We can do that. Guy comes here, opens up a business, the business shuts down, loses his house, God forbid, has to move somewhere. So then, simple Amun of a Jew tells you that you belong there. God's bringing you there. Sorry that it was in such a nasty way. Famous story that I've shared with many of you. The story the fifth of our Rebbe told one of his chassidim who was in the precious gem business and told him, I hear that they're now making railroad tracks to Siberia you should probably get involved with that business deal. Now, as a good chassid, he had all intentions to fulfill his Rebbe's plan. But when he left, he got back involved in the gems and everything. He totally forgot. He just totally forgot that the Rebbe told him to get involved in train tracks because it wasn't even on his... What would I know how to do with train tracks? Many years later, when he was arrested, as many of the chassidim were arrested 
for their underground Jewish work after the fifth Bat Sheba had to run away from Lubavitch then and that's when the communism took over and they were eradicating all forms of religion and he ended up in Siberia and he turned around to his chassid and he said I want to tell you a story that you probably don't know the fifth of the Rebbe told me talking about the fifth Bat Sheba the Rebbe told me that they're building train tracks to Siberia and I should get involved you see what the Rebbe saw was that my soul has things waiting for it in Siberia to do mitzvahs with and he tried to send me there first class and even make a few pennies off of it. How foolish was I for not listening? Look, I'm here now in a very different scenario. Amuna does that. Amuna in man's search for purpose tells me that everything I go through is either tikkun for me, preparing me for my job, or bringing me to my job or my job to me. But I'm suggesting tonight that that is the lower level of Amuna. Man's search for purpose is a lower level of Amuna, which is tip of the iceberg from the human paradigm. Now let's talk from the divine paradigm. Pirkei de Rableza was a divine paradigm. He was able to aspire to understand that man does not search for purpose, purpose searches for man. The man doesn't look for the field to work. The field looks for the man to work it. This understanding brings with it such an amazing inner peace that only the higher level of Amuna can bless you with. Imagine waking up in the morning and not having to come up with an answer why did I wake up today? But just the mere fact that you exist is the ultimate purpose. It is the ultimate testimony that Hashem Echad, God is one. By the way, once upon a time, this could have been argued. Is that true, Amy? Is that true? We're sitting here and, and that means that Hashem Echad? But today, today, there isn't an historian in his right mind that will not look at any Jew, secular or religious, who's still alive after he studied the history of our people from the beginning, from when Lavan chased Jacob and tried to kill him, down to Egypt, down to Nebuchadnezzar, down to Spanish Inquisition, down to the Holocaust. There is no question that the mere sight of a Jew with a star of David walking the street is a testimony that Hashem Echad. And there is such a thing as invincible, there is such a thing as omnipotent, there is such a thing as infinite. And that's God's fingerprint in His people. So today it isn't even a question that my mere existence is a testimony for God's Hashem Echad. And that is the ultimate purpose of anything. And then from that paradigm, you engage in accomplishing something that's a total different paradigm of aspiration. I tell people, the worst thing you can have in your marriage is to need your spouse. The best thing you can have in your marriage is to want your spouse. Do you understand the difference if man's searching purpose or purpose is searching man? You can appreciate now that when man looks at purpose, it's not I need you to justify my existence. 
I don't need you to justify my existence because I am a peace. My soul is a peace of God which doesn't need to have a justified existence. Its existence justifies justification. That ultimate paradigm from a divine perspective where there is no external stimulation, it comes from within. I am. Why? No why. I am. What didn't you hear? I am. And then from that paradigm to engage in bringing the world to its fulfillment. You know, this probably is a chassidisha twist that I go through just because of my upbringing. This is being recorded, right? This will be held against you. I want to share with you something interesting. You know, if for whatever reason food needs to be thrown out, I'm not telling you you should do this. None of my teachers told me to do it. It's just because of what my teachers taught me, I do it. If for whatever reason food needs to be thrown out, I have this mishigas that I will say some pasuk. Why? Because I deeply believe that that food exists for no other reason than it should be elevated by a Jew. Now, for whatever reason it fell on the floor and I have to throw it out, what's going to happen with the spark in there? Oh, by the way, <laughs> it gets much more spookier when you start believing in reincarnation and what happens if there's a soul in there and I'm throwing it in the garbage. Oh, so, I made a habit that I say some pasuk for no other reason than for that. So whatever godly spark is in that food can go to God and tell God, I served my purpose. Because out of Rumi, he said a pasuk of Torah for no other reason than for me. What a different paradigm. So it's not that I need to eat that so that I should go to Ganadin and get mitzvahs and then have... No. It's I really believe that that piece of food needed me. And for whatever reason it fell on the floor and I can't eat it. But I need to do something for that piece of food. Not that's going to justify my existence. It's going to justify its existence. Man search for meaning or meaning search for man. Can I face the fact that when I look in the mirror and I look into my eyes, which is the windows to the soul, I'm going to see a piece of God that needs no reason for existence. It needs no justification. Its existence is the justification of all justifications. And then, from that paradigm, to realize that everything around me needs me for a justification. What greater aspiration can there be? Talk about charity. There's some very difficult statements in the Talmud about charity, which I'm not going to get into right now. But I don't want to just get into the meaning of it. Charity is about the recipient, not about the giver. And if you give charity because it will do something for you, then that isn't charity. I shouldn't say that. Take that back. It's charity. <laughs> Guys, write out a check to the shul for whatever reason. I'm okay with it. I'll put your name up on every side of the building. But back to seriousness. Yeah, actually, that was serious. <laughs> Let's go back to the class. The concept here is, the concept here is, that I tell many times, friends, 
when I tell them that I'll pray for you and they quickly answer me he who prays for the other person gets answered in his own prayer and one day I realized and I now tell them but if that's the reason I'm praying then I'm not praying for you and if I'm not praying for you then I won't get answered catch 22 if I'm praying to you because the Torah says not to you God forbid if I'm praying for you because I know that the Talmud says that if I pray for you I'm going to get answered who am I praying for you or me I'm praying for me so then the Talmud's magic won't work let's talk about charity if I'm giving you because that's the way I receive, then that isn't charity. That's a business investment. True, 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 true. True. But ultimately speaking, when you look at selflessness in charity, what defines the ultimate Jewish giving is that when I give you, it's not about me, it's about you. By the way, you know what the litmus test is? That if I give you every single week charity, and one week you come to me and say, wow, you won't believe it. I landed a job this week and I don't need your charity. What do I feel? Empty or happy? If it's about you, I'm going to be super happy because I know that finally you're going to feel like a man sitting at your Shabbos table, looking at your wife and kids and saying, they're eating my food, not Avrumi's food in his grace. But if it's about me, I'm going to feel empty. Well, what's, how am I going to go home? You know, I always used to go home thinking that I have a right to sit with my wife and kids and eat because I know that there's another family eating because of me. So what am I feeling? Am I feeling let down? What do you mean you don't need me? Or am I feeling so happy? A litmus test if charity in my life is about me or about you. But let's go back to what we're talking about. To be able to embrace, and this is not human, because the center of a human being is I. It must be that way. Egocentric is the definition of a human. That's why the most central driving force of all creations is survival. Survival is about I. I told you. The lion looks at the gazelle and says, I don't mean to kill you, but I need to eat. I'm sorry. It's survival. It's I. But beyond, beyond the human paradigm is the divine paradigm of absolute selflessness. I don't need to justify my existence. My existence is my justification. I am a walking, talking piece of God. Look at me and you will see. Hashem Echad. Anything else is, is child's play compared to that. And thus what I'm presenting to you today is that to take a Muna from the human dimension to the divine dimension would be to understand that beyond man's search for purpose is purpose's search for man. To be able to embrace that I am playing myself short when I think that I exist for a purpose or that I think I need a purpose. And once you realize that, there's no need for any external stimulus, then I'm internally stimulated. And from that perspective, I look around me and I see an amazing world who's telling me, we need you. And then my aspiration takes off. Because the higher aspiration drives the lower aspiration rather than the higher aspiration being driven by the low aspiration. 
I do not because I need meaning. It's because I have meaning, I do. That is the divine paradigm of absolute selflessness. I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but uh, in the uh, convention, the Chabad International, Conven International Convention, there was over there a speaker. Um, his name is Bugalov, an amazing individual. Who uh, yeah, he has his charity funds are just amazing. And he spoke. He's a very powerful supporter of Chabad Lubavitch, and actually he does something which has been unprecedented. He doesn't give just for organizations. He actually gives for every single simcha. You know, uh, Shliach has a child number 13 and he has to make a bris or bar mitzvah or a wedding. It costs money. That's what he does. He has a, something called the Simcha Fund. He spoke. He was very funny. He was amazing. But he said something. And he said there that he was in Israel. Sitting by someone, some rabbis, they got together, all the people. And that rabbi went around the table and asked everyone, why did you become Shomer Shabbos? And everyone gave their reason. Oh, because this happened to me. Oh, because that happened to me. I was looking for meaning. I felt this. I found whatever it was. Yada, yada, yada. He said when it came to his turn, he went and he told the rabbi why I keep Shabbos. It's a miracle. He says, really? What's the miracle? He says, the miracle is there's no logical reason why I should keep Shabbos. And then he blew all our minds away when he showed us that he wears tzitzis. Off the record, there are some Russians in the room. So this is my comment to you guys. I think that a Russian can experience that. An American capitalistic mind, everything has to have a purpose. It's got a, everything's an investment. But there's a certain blessing in a Russian Jew who just understands that. There, there is no why. There is no why. Why I keep Shabbos? I don't know. I wasn't going through a crisis. Everything was great. Worth millions of millions. That's a selfless paradigm. That's when man doesn't need purpose. Purpose needs man. Because man realizes, I am a reflection of God. A God that needs a purpose isn't a God. Going back to the original concept. All of a sudden, when you go through this experience, you realize something extremely beautiful. What you realize is that maybe when the kid tells me, I don't care, I'm looking at a moment of a divine paradigm that not I nor the kid understands, and obviously I need to teach the kid, don't do that. But listen to a second. But I'm going to punish you. I don't care. But I'm going to fire you. I don't care. What I'm trying to share is something that you hear in Chassidus very often. The lowest level is deeply rooted in the highest level. But the lowest level doesn't realize that and therefore can play itself out in a negative way. Because if my kid, God bless them, can hang on to that I don't care and then do mitzvahs, now we're talking. Now we're talking Bugala style. Why I keep Shabbos? I don't know. What do you mean? Don't you know if you don't keep Shabbos, you can go to hell? I don't care. Don't you know if you keep Shabbos, you can go to heaven? I don't care. 
Then why do you keep Shabbos? I don't know. So why that sounds so dry? What drives you? If you have an I don't care, then, then you're borderline depressive. <laughs> then what, what drives you? What do you mean what drives me? Look around me. I don't care, but everything else cares because it all needs me to bring it to its ultimate purpose. But I, I don't need a purpose. Look me in the eyes. Don't you see? I've got a soul. I'm a piece of God. God don't need purpose. I hope, I hope this was helpful and we can talk about it more and more. Take care, guys.